welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here with another book review episode today, and we will be entering another, well, entry, I guess, into the Penguin Little Black Classics book review collection. This is when we jump our way and read our way through 80 pieces of world literature that Penguin has collected and put into one volume. Joining me today is the ponderer, the notorious one, Amanda. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Friend, friendly co-host. Notorious is just so far off. That could be, uh, in terms of hitting the dartboard of your personality, I threw that dart like directly into the ground. I didn't even, <laughs> didn't even come within any couple of feet within that to that dartboard. Um, but anyway, Amanda's joining us. Thanks again, Amanda, for being here as co-host. Today we are tackling kind of... I don't know, maybe the most famous person so far? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, because he, he's not just literature, right? It's, right. I mean, right. we study him in some literature, but mostly a scientist. So I think since he spans a couple of uh, groups there, I think he's better right. than the others, yeah. He's even more likely to show up in a high school biology textbook than a yeah. high school literary textbook, that is for sure. And this person is Charles Darwin, the creator, well, mostly the creator of the theory of evolution, or at least the the big proprietor of it, proponent right. of it. And this is a collection called It Was Snowing Butterflies, which we'll get to our summary of in just a second. It's essentially journal entries of his travels around South America. He was a naturalist and kind of a, yeah, just a naturalist and biologist. So he spent a lot of time traveling, observing, taking notes, comparing animals to other animals which he does in this book quite a lot <laughs> you know <laughs> checking in on the so what is that called the categorization from genius species there's i feel like there's a term for that yeah i have no idea <laughs> is it just that is it just that like animal kingdom not sorting ah gosh classifying See, my, isn't it yeah, classifying yeah classifying animals and, and putting them into their proper categories and everything yes so a lot of this book is concerned with that amanda why don't we start us though with a bit of an overview or summary this is new to the reviews but we want to give the listeners who have presumably not read this specific thing a hint of what we're about to cover um who is charles darwin uh, so he was a scientist, he was a naturalist, a geologist, and a biologist, and you actually kind of see all three of those aspects in these writings as well. Mm -hmm. And um, he's best known for his uh, theories of natural selection and of evolution, and probably his most well-known work is the um, on the origin of the species, which is uh, right. the work that a lot of uh, Christians especially had issues with because of his discussion of natural selection and evolution. For sure, for sure. And his work around the Galapagos Islands is really well known. I'm not sure. Having read only short little snippets of that book, I don't even remember if that book is about his time in the Galapagos, observing birds and some other creatures, animals, but it probably is. It probably makes its way in. I yeah. think the thing that Penguin collected here, though, is decidedly... Well, we'll get into it in the review. It's not quite as scientific. Uh, what this is, is three chapters from a published journal that he wrote when he was traveling around South America. You wrote down in the research that it was a five-year voyage. That sounds perfectly right to me. It, was it five years in this collection? Yes, I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. there are dates in here, but I gave them only a little bit of you know, mind. I just kind of skimmed over him. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're not a lot chronological. About... <laughs> no, no. And it, it doesn't, I don't even think it needs to be really. It feels like each one is its own adventure story in a yeah. sense. I mean, some more than others fit that, fit that description, but yeah. So this is, that's what this is. It's just chapters from his journals and, and travels. Well, we can only hypothesize why Penguin would include him. Uh, I guess I'll just speak broadly and say, like I said, he's probably the most well-known name 
quite literally in, in the entire collection so far, although there's been literary titans we've covered in like literary legends. He is not really that. He is just a kind of an intellectual like landmark figure of the 20th century. I don't know if that feels too exaggerated to say, but certainly his ideas had social implications because then Darwinian ideals made their way into social theories and, and kind of social, the social space about com- competition and whether or not people should be competing a lot or, you know, may the best win, et cetera, mm-hmm. which became, I don't know, debatably poisonous ideas. Uh, why else <laughs> would Penguin have included him? Anything else you know about him, Amanda? No, I, I think that sums it up. Yeah, one of the more eminent as you wrote down geologists of his time, or I would have pegged him as a biologist just based on this, but heck, I'm sure those lines blur together more than I more than I understand. Well, he did talk about like the the strata and stuff, and he talks about the different types of rock. Right. So he's pretty knowledgeable. <laughs> and trees, though I guess trees are alive, right? So he that would be in biology as well. But he mm-hmm. yeah, he does a bit on trees as well, certainly remarks upon their appearance a lot. At any rate, that is a brief rundown of what we read. Um, If you're interested in hearing more about that, listen on then. And if not, eh, listen on anyway. It's kind of an interesting (laughs) read. You might might come away knowing more about Darwin as a writer than than before, for sure. Mm -hmm. And if you're just itching to go read this without our review, go do so. I'm sure you could find it online, right? You did, Amanda. I sure did. Project Gutenberg. Yep. Go find his travels. It was on the Beagle, right? That was the name of the ship? Yes. HMS Beagle. According to Penguin, is a momentous voyage. So there we go. But again, with all that out of the way, let's jump into our actual review process. Darwin would admire us, for it is a scientific process and template <laughs> we have in front of us. We'll begin, as always, with our one-sentence simile reviews. Amanda, why don't you start with yours? What was reading this book like? I said that reading this is like watching a Bob Ross episode, the artist, Bob Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're definitely learning the whole time, and you are generally entertained, but there might be some spots that you kind of just gloss over for one reason or another whether it's something that you've already you already know or something that you're just like i really don't care about that or whatever but for the most part you're entertained the person's entertaining some spots it's not as great (laughs) and i feel like i don't know i haven't watched a bob ross episode in a while but i feel like there are edits in there that where something is done so quickly you don't get a full sense of the technique he used to accomplish it, where mm-hmm. if you're following it like a tutorial, it becomes sort of mesmerizing because you're like, wait, how did that that tree is there? What happened? Like, how did <laughs> yeah. how did he make that tree, that shade or color? You know, it's you see a little bit of the technique, but I've always wondered about that show in that regard, like mm-hmm. where the edits are and how much there is to that, because. Yeah, that's certainly the majesty of that show is it just all, you feel like you blink and all of a sudden there is a complete work in front of you yeah always a happy path somewhere <laughs> yeah no always yeah we're finding we're gonna find our happy path today uh in the oceans around the oceans on the seas with darwin for my part i thought my simile was that i put re- reading this was like watching a movie with a stronger b plot than a plot so to speak where you have a real invested or desperate even interest in the b plot which in terms of storytelling just means the like a side story going on that doesn't propel the main narrative. It's not the main narrative, but where you find that extremely fascinating. But then, of course, most attention mm-hmm. is going to be paid to the A plot. That's how I felt reading it, just because it like a lot of the other kind of journals or travelogues we've read in this collection. There were moments when I just wanted to push him that direction and say, please just right. keep talking about that. And then right. inevitably he would not. 
so I just think it was my own personal reaction to the B plots in this book that I craved more description of, and sometimes it delivered, but usually it did not. So that, yeah. that's how I felt. I think that's a fair assessment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make some connections as well. We like to do this at the top of the review just to give some case or relevance to the listener about why you might be reading this in 2020. I'll start with this one. Remember going to biology class where there is inevitably a page in your textbook with that classification of animals that I can't remember what it's called, like the animal kingdom division or the system of organization or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, uh, you will you will be shamed as I am currently shamed by not being able to remember what that was called or what the tiers or levels were. I know species and genus are on there, but I have no clue in what order or what that that means. Right, I just know the words, I guess. But yeah, that this brought back memories of biology class so vividly that if you have, I guess, more than a passing interest in that kind of science and that kind of work where there are discussions of animal traits, comparisons and contrasts, and that kind of dividing up and organizing, I think it definitely reminded me of being in school. I, I don't think in school I ever read anything like this to this level of detail. It's much quicker and more summary. But mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that it, that reminded me of being in bio class really vividly, actually. It brought back a lot of those memories. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> it's pretty similar to what I said as well, except I kind of like made mine a bit broader. I suppose mine was more like my AP environmental class, uh, which was mm -hmm. my teacher. It was his last year. He was like done. He was oh, retiring. Yeah. So he Gotta just love those retirement years. <laughs> I had no idea what was going to be on the AP test beforehand. Like he didn't tell us there was an essay or anything, Classic. no practice, anything. So he would take us outside to be like, okay guys, let's look at some clouds. What do you see? And Hey, look at this tree. <laughs> like that kind of Fantastic. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you tell so what the tree it is? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, that's what it reminded me of was just like, kind of like going out and making your own observations. Like, even if you're not really familiar with like the types of trees or, you know, yeah. the types of clouds, even at that point for me, like, um, just kind of, if you have an interest in nature, I think that this might be an interesting, uh, read. Yeah. And if you have any interest in, like you said, like organizing things or trying to figure out things and, and, and draw some conclusions about how to organize, um, uh, certain animals into categories and stuff or certain trees into categories, I think this would be a good read. Yeah. And I don't know if it's to the works credit or discredit that I'd certainly want, I don't remember even now any specific animal fact that he covered. I will remember the thoroughness and the writing style with which he wrote about them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think none of the facts, it was maybe too technical for it to lodge into my brain. It was too difficult and slippery for me to think, oh, I'm going to definitely commit that fact to memory. I, I right. certainly know what's different about that dolphin versus this other dolphin. Or he really went on about llamas. What was the <laughs> other? It was llamas and guana, guanacos? Guanacos, yeah. Guana, guanacows, guanacos. And so, but I, maybe I'll remember that name. I don't remember any of the traits he talked about, mm. or, you know, roughly speaking. And so, yeah, I don't know... I feel like if you really want to get into that stuff, though, there's connections to be made here abundantly. So, so yeah, there's there's that. 
let's dive into the text deeply then. We'll get to our quotes for clarification segment. Real tongue twister this morning uh, or afternoon. (laughs) It's the quarantine. Every time is every time. It's it's nighttime, whatever. (laughs) It's true. When you don't go outside, it's all the same. Uh, It's all the same. (laughs) And at least we're not living under the oppression of a forest fire skyline. Have you been Mm -hmm. keeping up on that news? Yeah, I've been. Yeah. So at least it's not orange where we live, Amanda. We have that privilege, uh, so we can be thankful for that this week. Yeah, it's way too humid here for it to ever. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a great point. When you go, (laughs) yeah, when you go outside and you try and start a fire, it just water comes out of the air. It it just morphs from nothing and just douses the flame. which, you know, is its own kind of hell, but mm-hmm. not, not not as bad. At any rate, we'll, we'll be quick with our news digressions. <laughs> uh, just hard not to talk about it, I guess, especially in a naturalist. You know, it just so happens this week we're covering a naturalist. Right. So, you know, it's it's relevant and topical. Mm-hmm. Our, our dwindling natural world, man, I'm sure Darwin would be quite sad about it. He um, would be. I don't know if he'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Well, yeah, maybe not. Honestly, I, I didn't get a sense of pessimism in this one, though. I could throw out a quote early that kind of gets to that. Let me just jump in with our quotes for clarification, then, because I found some of his descriptions of nature to be quite terrifying in a mm-hmm. very satisfying way. I think he is realistic in acknowledging that nature is not to be controlled directly, or that when you try and dabble in that, you you may be headed for doom, so to speak. That there's mm-hmm a kind of imposing terror that some parts of nature can put on to humankind. On page 39, I pulled a quote on this, and it says, quote, On every side were lying irregular masses of rock and uptorn trees. Other trees, though still erect, were decayed to the heart and ready to fall. The entangled mass of the thriving and the fallen reminded me of the forest within the tropics, yet there was a difference. For in these still solitudes, death instead of life seemed to be the predominant spirit. I, it's just a beautiful quote. It's It's got the contrast, death and life. I like the, when I'm rereading it now, I like the heart of the tree. It mm-hmm. is weirdly personifying in a yeah. strange way that I I thought about I'm, probably when I read it, but not really until now. And it's just really a vivid, kind of fair, honest depiction of how nature can be grotesque and beautiful at the same time. When you yeah. do a hike through a forest that is in decay, you know, there's often trees standing and then there's dead ones on top of those. And it's kind of a beautiful mess in a sense. And I think a lot of his depictions of forests and non-animal things fit that bill. Mm-hmm. With animals, I think he becomes more the scientist. It was what I observed. Yeah, I think that with uh, the way that he describes nature, um, as, as far as like the, the flora, it's, it's a lot of the time, the imagery is just amazing. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. emotional. I want to say he creates like almost a mood or a tone uh, in some of his descriptions. And like the one that you just read, which was a a beautiful description of what he was seeing, it makes you feel a little almost haunted, which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, for somebody who is, you know, a scientist and he's writing in his journal like this, it's not something that you would normally expect from a scientist. For sure. It, it creates such a dampening mood, it yeah. kind of an imposing almost or right. blanketing. It's depressing in a sense. I, I don't yeah. think it's depressing in the humanity sense, but in the just like grandiosity of the universe kind mm-hmm. of sense, it's depressing. It That page ends with the quote, uh, nor is it the forest often enlivened by the rays of the sun. 
and that's just how it concludes. Like it's just, <laughs> and it's going to be dark and dank here for probably forever. Yep. You don't get a lot of sunlight. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most happy portrayal, and maybe unfortunately that creeps into some of his descriptions of the peoples who inhabit that land. Yeah. But yeah, his his depiction of the natural world. I really found it compelling. It, again, I just wish there were more of it. Yeah, he does a beautiful job with that. And um, one of the quotes that I pulled was actually about a, a depiction of the uh, the fauna. So uh, specifically yeah. about the bulls that he and the, the gauchos, um, the, mm-hmm. the guys who are like the, the cowboys in South America, um, that they encounter, um, which is from the Patagonia chapter for me and it says from the number Mm -hmm. of the great number of cows which have been killed there is a large proportion of bulls these wander about single or two and three together and are very savage i never saw such magnificent beasts they equaled in the size of their huge heads and necks to the grecian grecian marble sculptures so i thought it was such an interesting comparison between these gigantic angry bulls to these beautiful pieces of art <laughs> yeah, these grecian yeah. marble statues sculptures i thought that was just such a great comparison it's something that you don't wouldn't normally see um, a comparison like that but it shows a lot of like first of all like it, it depicts how strong it is right how strong the bulls are and also right um, yeah a sense of magnificence as far as like beauty almost in mm-hmm. these animals that um, I thought was really interesting. That's the kind of imposing creature that you, you know, you want to see it in person, but you don't, you want to mm-hmm. see it at a zoo kind of a feeling where mm-hmm. it's, it's a frightening encounter. I feel like if you were out in the actual natural world, yeah, it would have a sort of terrifying imposition on your life for a moment (laughs) yeah it would trigger your flight or fight response probably in a (laughs) way and so it's like i I would love to you know be really close to a a grizzly bear or a bull or a moose or something but also no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no i don't want that so yeah yeah no even um my aunt and uncle have a uh, place in Asheville, which you know, mm-hmm. mountainous part of North Carolina for listeners who don't know what that means. So they have a place in the mountains and a couple of times bears have been on their property and these are black bears. They're not the hugest creatures, but I certainly would kill me, I reckon, if they, <laughs> you know, if that was in their mood or spirit that day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even that's intimidating enough. And, th- and they're quite scared of humans, honestly. They, yeah. they don't, they're not looking to pick a fight or something. But even that, seeing them from a distance indoors, I'm just thinking, I don't want to I don't, I don't have any cause trouble with you. Yeah, it's a great quote. I, I picked one that uh, I think is exhausting to read, but I'm happy to throw it out there. This is my other quote I chose. Yeah. This is the science part. I, I felt like it would have been an incomplete reading on my part, perhaps unscientific of me if I didn't present a quote like this, just because this is the this is the A plot that bogged me down, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. On pages 18 and 19, he says, quote, The puzzle, however, was soon solved when Mr. Owen examined them, which are creatures, for he considers that they formed part of an animal allied to the guanaco or llama, but is fully as large as the true camel, as all the existing members of the family of Camildei, again, can't pronounce that, it's a family that camels reside in, I guess, are inhabitants of the most sterile countries, so may we suppose that this was this extinct kind. The structure of the cervical vertebrae, the transverse processes not being perforated for the vertebral artery, indicates its affinity. Some other parts, however, of its structure probably are anomalous. 
I, you know, I forgot what I just read. That's the point. I don't, if you understood, I mean, I, you know, as I was reading it and I took notes and, you know, I like to do some light annotations, like I underlined and circled some stuff there and wrote some stuff. Mm-hmm. I, that's how you have to probably approach this. If you understood that with me just reading it off to you, good on you. I, there were definitely terminology in there though, that not being a biologist meant I'm, I'm kind of get what you're saying. I, I could probably guess what a cervical vertebrae is, but not really. I, I don't think I can visualize that well. And I certainly don't think I understand that the implications therein of mentioning that in terms of camels versus llamas versus guanaco or something. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that is the kind of density that I think permeates a lot of this. Not all of it, though. It, it comes and goes. Yeah, he definitely picks and chooses where he gets super scientific like that. And it usually is to deal with the animals. Um, yeah, yeah. Less so, I think, with the plants, um, but still, even right. with when he before he launches into um, the scientific aspect of these animals, a lot of the time he begins by a description of their outer appearance, which is where my interest is really piqued because that's where we get some of the more interesting like similes and metaphors and descriptions. For sure. Yeah, no, I think it's the tale of two writing styles, right? Or the yeah. tale of two approaches to a subject, you know, if you were to say to someone, hey, person, here's a thing in front of you, write about it. I mean, there's obviously infinite ways that could be approached, but he seems to have this weird dichotomy where sometimes he approaches it like a like a poet, so to speak. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just like an an objective observer of science. I found one of his other descriptions. I'm not going to pull another quote, but some of the things just seem preposterous in terms of how he spent his time. For example, he writes about these spiders on the ship they're on, and it's it's almost like he spends... 24 hours consecutively just staring at them which seems absurd to me like (laughs) that he would just i guess but you know uh, there are current biologists out in fields that do similar type of work obviously not 24 hours but where they do they spend years of their lives just just looking and just kind of being patient and seeing what happens and that whole lifestyle seems just preposterous to me i don't maybe i'm impatient Yeah, I would not have the patience for that either. <laughs> no, and and there are moments in here where I admired it, but it doesn't make it good reading per yep. se. Agreed. Any other quotes you got, Amanda? Yeah, sure. We talked a, a lot about like his animals and um, plant descriptions, but what I found the most interesting w- was his observations on... <laughs> <laughs> on people, <laughs> specifically what he calls yeah. the savages of oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Tierra del Fuego. So um, I pulled a quote from there and it says, I could not have believed how wide was the difference between savage and civilized man. It is greater than between a wild and domesticated animal in as much as in man, there is a greater power of improvement. Uh, so mm-hmm. his descriptions of of the people here are, never flattering um he's rather judgmental actually which is not surprising considering the times that he was writing in um Mm -hmm. but what i found especially interesting was that he was very consistent in how he described he would compare them to either demons or to animals 
Those were the yeah, only the two. animal thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was throughout yeah. that entire chapter that you could see those those comparisons, which from a literary perspective is like, you know, it's a good thing. But also from like a human perspective, you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it says a lot about my, it's funny, I was just editing, which pod was I just editing before we started recording this one? It was another one where just explicit racism, it must have been the Hackloot one came up. Oh, I'm sure. So I was just re-listening to a lot of that and talking and like listening back to our discussion. And I'm just going to come out and say this horrifying truth again in this one. That was the most interesting part to me. I, it yeah. was the thing that gripped me the most, seeing this 200-year-old racist like go on his ramblings. It, mm-hmm. Because of how it clarifies things, I think it's insightful. And again, it has a historic detachment enough to where you don't feel like a scumbag. Like right. I'm not going to go you know, look at conspiracy theorist like conservative racist blog post today or whatever i don't right. need to consume that to feel like i understand what they're they're going to tell me and so i feel like I, I get it you know i don't need it to critique it per se but for some reason when it's removed enough in history i just it, it just reveals so much and i find so many of the intricacies and the the way he reasons things and describes i really found that part quite gripping and not not as an endorsement, just as a fascinating historical document. Me too. Like I, I was looking at it through the lens also of um, when I was looking up Darwin's history, his father and grandfather were both early abolitionists. So I oh, thought okay. that was really hmm. interesting uh, compared to his language in describing native peoples. Yeah. And it could be that he had that kind of incrementalist mindset of like, well, we, we've got the best civilization and these people yeah. can have it too, but man, it's going to take some time and some learning and we got to give it to them. You know, he could be, he could have that mindset too. It even reading this short excerpt when he dealt with native peoples of South America revealed how easily somebody could invent social Darwinism, which I don't even think was a concept he put forward that aggressively. Right. I think he was, it was like his theories were co-opted to become like social theories, but yeah. it, you, you can't help but read this and think like, I could see how someone would become a social Darwinist reading this again. Not that I can see it based on my own moral views and values, but I could see how the theory would get blended into something else. I mean, he <laughs> explicitly seems to believe in the notion of colonialist progress and, and giving, you know, colonizing, giving back in that very not meaning that way. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely, he also at one point um, in this chapter too, talks about one of the failings, one of the reasons that the natives, specifically the natives in in Tierra del Fuego, the reason that they are not doing as well and why they um, are not showing any progress is because they don't have a social hierarchy. Everybody Mm -hmm. is an equal. And he goes on to talk about and explain why a social hierarchy is necessary in order to Uh, create uh, competition and in order to improve oneself. So he's very much like somebody, (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, here's the the social Darwinism aspect and and the support for capitalism (laughs) and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, it it does get a little political there. (laughs) I think you could, yeah, you can, there are clearly ways you can spin off from this chapter and the ideas in it and spin them off into trends we've seen since then. In yeah. terms of just uh, yeah, social theories and ideas in sociology, po- politics, even economics and stuff. No, it there's weirdly prescient things in here again, which I, I found very fascinating to encounter in, mm-hmm. in this way. But put in the middle of this text, it's also odd because yeah. you got that, and then before that, there were four pages about llamas, and you're just <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I 
I guess I'm reading both of these things and it it made for an oddly whiplash like reading, but I can't say I didn't like it though. It yeah, it's a strange one to encounter though. Yeah, it yeah. feels kind of broad in its range, which Penguin does that with some of these. They kind of throw everything from the author at you in a way. Yeah. Let's just immediately transition to literary corner because so I didn't pull a quote from that section when he meets the actual like peoples there because mm-hmm. I wanted to cover it the literary corner. I was trying to find the right term to put through this lens. This is the segment when we try and educate you, the listener, on some kind of literary theory or idea, rhetorical device, etc. I pulled The Noble Savage, which was a concept that came up for me in college when I was studying Rousseau, who's a philosopher. French guy, I think? French or English? What does it matter? French, I, I think. think. He's French, whatever. yeah. Sure, French. <laughs> They're all blending at that time, whatever. <laughs> but no, and so Rousseau had this idea come up, and I, I had to read a, a book called Amelie, or Emily, that had it. Anyway, this is a concept, and this is from Penguin's Literary Dictionary, by the way. This is the concept or title, which connotes the exemplar of primitive goodness, dignity, and nobility, which is uncorrupted by the evil effects of civilization. The origins of the idea of the noble savage are obscure. Maybe Milton kind of did it first in Paradise Lost, like an Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. you know, that that's in the Bible too, of course, so that right. there's that notion. And so it was popular as probably around that time that Milton was writing, but the romantics used it as a part of a reaction against the growth of industrialism, materialism, and capitalism. And I think uh, the only reason I wanted to pull this was because I couldn't think of an easier text to be a blatant um, in conflict with this idea than Darwin. He clearly thinks that Savage is far from noble and wants Mm -hmm. them to be turned immediately or ignored perhaps even defeated. I don't know if he said anything like that in there, though they do fire at them. They do kind of get into little conflicts with them and, and trade bow and arrow and gunshots and everything. Yeah. But it's just his, his critique and labeling of the native peoples he encounters is so blatant yeah. that I, cu- I couldn't think of a concept he would dis- would have disagreed with more than the noble savage, the idea of that primitive lifestyle is a pure, better form of human life. Yeah, he definitely does not think that the the primitive form is the better form, right? Civilization yeah. is definitely uh, an improvement. Also, very quickly, Rousseau was uh, from Geneva, so he was Swiss. But oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, always, uh, always. But did he write in French then? I think that he did. Okay, that's the part um, and he I was died in conflating. France. Yeah, so yeah, it's that's the part I was Rousseau. So okay, yeah, yeah. I think what I was thinking of is that his the titles of his works often have the accenting like French would. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've read everything in translation, so whatever. <laughs> I, I can't even read French, <laughs> but yeah, that's. I guess that's why I thought he was French. Anyway, like I said, doesn't really matter. You can find his Wikipedia and read about his ideas quite easily. So yeah. But I agree. I think that uh, Darwin would not have necessarily agreed with the idea of the noble savage. And he even comments on like he compares um, the the natives of Tierra del Fuego to like the um, uh, the Australians and the New Zealanders, the the natives there. And he says that in a lot of ways, they're actually like superior to the um, the natives of Tierra del Fuego. But he continues to also talk smack about those groups too. So it's still not, <laughs> there are better yeah. natives yeah. according to him, but like they're still not good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not even sure what markers he mentions a couple of specific traits of their cultures that bother him. I think the biggest one would be, like you said, no clear hierarchy or organization. Mm-hmm. He really critiques heavily the language they deploy 
but yeah. obviously he doesn't speak it or understand it anyway. I just don't think he likes the way it sounds. He just that's like his big critique is well, they make a lot of clicking sounds and that yeah. doesn't seem right. You know, it's like okay, that's the insight you have. He's clearly not an anthropologist. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like okay, yeah. that's all right. That's that's the depth of your analysis. Then you know he gives more thought to llama fur than like the behavior <laughs> of these other people <laughs> of these humans in front of him, and also the lack of clothing really bothers him. Yeah, yeah. The well, that and um, what was the other thing? Not something about trading. Gosh, there was something about the way they were interacting with goods because they do give give them gifts, and then that there's yeah. some like the, thanking going on. The the constant give to me, give to me, give to me. Yeah, that's what was really bothering him. He's like, I started to hate that phrase, the give yeah. to me phrase. Yeah, right, right. And they, yeah, and so. I, you know, there's so much to unpack in that section. It's almost like we could have done a pod just on that chapter when he goes into human analyzing human behaviors instead of llama fur or whatever llama bones. But yeah, it's it makes for such a weird detour. But man, I enjoyed reading it in the most. I'm not going to say in a perverse way, but again, I I just found it to be quite a historical document from a mm-hmm. extremely legendary intellectual figure. So yeah. if you want to learn more about Darwin's kind of beliefs views on humanity. It's it's a pretty excellent starting point for that, to be honest. Let's jump in then to the final part of the reviews, a two-parter we like to review in two segments. The first is the Russell French in memoriam. So what's good about it segment that we have to genuinely praise the work here, which some weeks is challenging, some weeks is quite easy. (laughs) This week, I think it'll be easy for me, Amanda, but what did you find uh, compelling about this? Uh, So my favorite chapter was actually the, the Del Fuego chapter, which is uh, the analysis of the natives. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I got to see a lot of Darwin's biases, which I was not expecting considering that he's, you know, a scientist. Uh, So I thought that was really interesting so that I could see the human part of him. And I also enjoyed that a lot of the descriptions um, actually were full of emotion, which I also was not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. I, mine is, I already gave it away in the quotes I pulled, but I think when he delves into describing nature without categorizing nature, he's really writes pretty beautifully and evocatively. He Mm -hmm. has clear, I mean, he writes in quite an educated way, so it can be long winded, especially given the stylistic trappings of the 1800s when he was writing it. It sounds like an educated person at that time period writing. So take that for what you will, can be kind of lengthy and exhausting to read, frankly. But Mm -hmm. a lot of it's very beautiful. And I'll remember the mood of this for a long time, I think. I can't tell you I'll remember his specific thoughts on llamas or trees. But (laughs) yeah, he had kind of a sorrow about him when when he was observing parts of nature. And I thought it was really beautiful at times. And so, yeah, can't say the same thing at all about his uh, human interactions. But (laughs) that was mostly anger. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and like confusion that they were mimicking him or something. Yeah, he just felt baffled by the whole thing. But that part I I did rather enjoy and thought was quite good. Let's jump into our final ratings. Then we rate in a three. I can't say point. I can't want to say point. What's the word for this? A three tiered system. Nice. What do, you, what do you think? Three tier? Yeah, okay. I like that. Essentially, the review comes out and our final say is going to be yes, maybe, or no, meaning yes, you should read this. Maybe you should read this. No, you should not read this. I will jump in first again here and just say maybe feels perfect here. I think his his politics and morals for probably most people in 2020 are quite disagreeable um, for whatever that means to you. I think if you're comfortable reading with some historic detachment, then it again, to me, like I did, it felt... When they encountered these tribes in Patagonia, it felt 
really lively and intriguing. And yeah, maybe you'll be disappointed to learn that Darwin was a, a racist, but you know, don't then stop looking back at history. I think would be my <laughs> advice. It's, you'll be quite disappointed <laughs> with what you find there. And so, you know, I, again, that, that can come or go if, if you don't want to read the thoughts of a scientific, you know, colonialist racist, then more power to you. That's fine. But yeah, I thought the digressions in nature were also, yeah, times really quite striking and beautiful. So I think it's a maybe I, I found most of it pretty, pretty easy to read in terms of um, excitement and movement. I think it kept kept things moving. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you there on on the maybe for sure. Um, I think that if you are interested in um, the more human side of Darwin, this would be a, a really interesting read. And uh, he's actually surprisingly a, a very good writer, uh, considering that he mm-hmm. was somebody who was so focused on on science. Um, and it's not something that you normally would uh, see, not to say that scientists aren't great writers, because I mean, there's sci-fi. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah. um, generally speaking, yeah, you don't see that uh, quite as often. So it's it really nice and refreshing, especially coming off of reading Haklut, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that was stylistically <laughs> way more foreign and off-putting. Yeah, exactly. And um, cold. So, yeah, that's that's a great word, cold. Whereas this one is so full of uh, great descriptions and imagery and emotion. Um, I would say that it's not a full-on yes for me, simply because there were parts that I was skimming because uh, I'm not a scientist and I'm not really into classifying things like that. So. Uh, yeah. Some of the parts I was just very quickly, as soon as like I got done with some of the similes and metaphors, and I noticed that it was just like a description of, uh, of how this animal does this and why it does this. I mean, I would read it, but I wasn't really engaged with it. So I would yeah. say if you're not overly interested in that kind of stuff, you might not find this to be the best read. Yeah, I think it's easy to become passive at parts of this, which is a shame because then there will be a moment after where you wish your brain were a little bit more engaged because there's something really intriguing there. But yes, I agree. I became quite a passive reader at sections of this because, again, I don't need four pages on llama, fur, and bone or whatever, (laughs) or the differences between the llama and the camel or Mm -hmm. what have you. A simple two or three sentences would be fine, but um, this is for the more dedicated biologists among us. Yeah, I think a solid maybe from both of us this week. It it surprised me. There were moments when I really thought this was going to be an aggressive no, but weirdly some lights in the darkness, so to speak, in this reading. Yeah, it had weirdly poignant moments. So perhaps if that's enough to engage you, go check out some Darwin stuff and then just make sure you don't buy like his super racist diary or do and like (laughs) dig into what the hell this guy was thinking. (laughs) That could be, you know, one way to approach it too, I guess, if you want that historical aspect. Next week, we will return with another review. Of course, we are going to be digging into the Brothers Grimm, which I anticipate grimly because I have learned to hate fairy tales <laughs> yeah. on this pod. That is something I have turned against wholly with my entire being. And yet the Brothers Grimm is probably the second most well-known thing, maybe, in this entire series. I don't know. I mean, Disney stole a lot of their ideas, right? And oh, repurposed yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And so based on that statistic alone, it's, it's Darwin and Disney. And that's basically it. And so <laughs> at any rate, we'll be back next week with a review of those fairy tales. And until that time, we will see you between the classics. 